Chapter fifty eight of the History of Pendennis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Pendennis by William Makepeace Thackeray. Chapter fifty eight. Fair Oaks to Let our poor widow with the assistance of her faithful martha of fair oaks who laughed and wondered at the german ways and superintend the affairs of the simple household had made a little feast in honour of major pendennis's arrival of which however only the major and his two younger friends partook for helen sent to say that she was too unwell to dine at their table and laura bore her company the major talked for the party and did not perceive or choose to perceive what a gloom and silence pervaded the other two sharers of the modest dinner it was evening before helen and laura came into the sitting-room to join the company there she came in leaning on laura with her back to the waning light so that arthur could not see how pallid and woe-stricken her face was and as she went up to pen whom she had not seen during the day and placed her fond arms on his shoulders and kissed him tenderly laura left her and moved away to another part of the room pen remarked that his mother's voice and her whole frame trembled her hand was clammy cold as she put it up to his forehead piteously embracing him the spectacle of her misery only added somehow to the wrath and testiness of the young man he scarcely returned the kiss which the suffering lady gave him and the countenance with which he met the appeal of her look was hard and cruel she persecutes me he thought within himself and she comes to me with the air of a martyr you look very ill my child she said i don't like to see you look in that way and she tottered to a sofa still holding one of his passive hands in her thin cold clinging fingers i've had much to annoy me mother pen said with a throbbing breast and as he spoke helen's heart began to beat so that she sat almost dead and speechless with terror warrington laura and major pendennis all remained breathless aware that the storm was about to break i have had letters from london arthur continued and one that has given me more pain than i ever had in my life it tells me that former letters of mine have been intercepted and purloined away from me that that a young creature who has shown the greatest love and care for me has been most cruelly used by by you mother for god's sake stop cried out warrington she's ill don't you see she is ill let him go on said the widow faintly let him go on and kill her said laura rushing up to her mother's side speak on sir and see her die it is you who are cruel cried pen more exasperated and more savage because his own heart naturally soft and weak revolted indignantly at the injustice of the very suffering which was laid at his door it is you that are cruel who attribute all this pain to me it is you who are cruel with your wicked reproaches your wicked doubts of me your wicked persecutions of those who love me yes those who love me and who brave everything for me and whom you despise and trample upon because they are of lower degree than you shall i tell you what i will do what i am resolved to do now that i know what your conduct has been i will go back to this poor girl whom you turned out of my doors and ask her to come back and share my home with me 
i'll defy the pride which persecutes her and the pitiless suspicion which insults her and me do you mean pen that you here the widow with eager eyes and outstretched hands was breaking out but laura stopped her silence hush dear mother she cried and the widow hushed savagely as pen spoke she was only too eager to hear what more he had to say go on arthur go on arthur was all she said almost swooning away as she spoke by gad i say he shan't go on or i won't hear him by gad the major said trembling too in his wrath if you choose sir after all we've done for you after all i've done for you myself to insult your mother and disgrace your name by lying yourself with a low-born kitchen girl go and do it by gad but let us ma'am have no more to do with him i wash my hands of you sir i wash my hands of you i'm an old fellow i ain't long for this world i come of as ancient and honourable a family as any in england by gad and i did hope before i went off the hooks by gad that the fellow that i'd liked and brought up and nursed through life by jove would do something to show me that our name yes the name of pendennis by gad was left undishonoured behind us but if he won't damn me i say amen by god both my father and my brother jack were the proudest men in england and i never would have thought that there would come this disgrace to my name never and and i'm ashamed that it's arthur pendennis the old fellow's voice here broke off into a sob it was the second time that arthur had brought tears from those wrinkled lids the sound of his breaking voice stayed pen's anger instantly and he stopped pacing the room as he had been doing until that moment laura was by helen's sofa and warrington had remained hitherto an almost silent but not uninterested spectator of the family storm as the parties were talking it had grown almost dark and after the lull which succeeded the passionate outbreak of the major george's deep voice as it here broke trembling into the twilight room was heard with no small emotion by all will you let me tell you something about myself my kind friends he said you have been so good to me ma'am you have been so kind to me laura i hope i may call you so sometimes my dear pen and i have been such friends that i have long wanted to tell you my story such as it is and would have told it to you earlier but that it is a sad one and contains another's secret however it may do good for arthur to know it it is right that every one here should it will divert you from thinking about a subject which out of a fatal misconception has caused a great deal of pain to all of you may i please tell you mrs pendennis pray speak was all helen said and indeed she was not much heeding her mind was full of another idea with which pen's words had supplied her and she was in a terror of hope that what he had hinted might be as she wished george filled himself a bumper of wine and emptied it and began to speak you all of you know how you see me he said a man without a desire to make an advance in the world careless about reputation and living in a garret and from hand to mouth though i have friends and a name and i dare say capabilities of my own that would serve me if i had a mind but mind i have none i shall die in that garret most likely and alone i nailed myself to that doom in early life shall i tell you what it was that interested me about arthur years ago and made me inclined towards him when first i saw him the men from our college at oxbridge brought up accounts of that early affair with the chatteris actress about whom pen has talked to me since and who but for the major's generalship might have been your daughter-in-law ma'am 
i can't see pen in the dark but he blushes i'm sure and i dare say miss bell does and my friend major pendennis i dare say laughs as he ought to do for he won what would have been arthur's lot now had he been tied at nineteen to an illiterate woman older than himself with no qualities in common between them to make one a companion for the other no equality no confidence and no love speedily what could he have been but most miserable and when he spoke just now and threatened a similar union be sure it was but a threat occasioned by anger which you must give me leave to say ma'am was very natural on his part for after a generous and manly conduct let me say who know the circumstances well most generous and manly and self-denying which is rare with him he has met from some friends of his with a most unkind suspicion and has had to complain of the unfair treatment of another innocent person towards whom he and you all are under much obligation the widow was going to get up here and warrington seeing her attempt to rise said do i tire you ma'am oh no go on go on said helen delighted and he continued i liked him you see because of that early history of his which had come to my ears in college gossip and because i like a man if you will pardon me for saying so miss laura who shows that he can have a great unreasonable attachment for a woman that was why we became friends and are all friends here for always aren't we he added in a lower voice leaning over to her and pen has been a great comfort and companion to a lonely and unfortunate man i'm not complaining of my lot you see for no man's is what he would have it and up in my garret where you left the flowers and with my old books and my pipe for a wife i am pretty contented and only occasionally envy other men whose careers in life are more brilliant or who can solace their ill fortune by what fate and my own fault has deprived me of the affection of a woman or a child here there came a sigh from somewhere near warrington in the dark and a hand was held out in his direction which however was instantly withdrawn for the prudery of our females is such that before all expression of feeling or natural kindness in regard a woman's is taught to think of herself and the proprieties and to be ready to blush at the very slightest notice and checking as of course it ought the spontaneous motion modestly drew up again kindly friendship shrank back ashamed of itself and warrington resumed his history my fate is such as i made it and not lucky for me or for others involved in it i too had an adventure before i went to college and there was no one to save me as major pendennis saved pen pardon me miss laura if i tell this story before you it is as well that you all of you should hear my confession before i went to college as a boy of eighteen i was at a private tutor's and there like arthur i became attached or fancied i was attached to a woman of a much lower degree and a greater age than my own you shrink from me no i don't laura said and here the hand went out resolutely and laid itself in warrington's she had divined his story from some previous hints let fall by him and his first words at its commencement she was a yeoman's daughter in the neighbourhood warrington said with rather a faltering voice and i fancied what all young men fancy her parents knew who my father was and encouraged me with all sorts of coarse artifices and scoundrel flatteries which i see now about their house to do her justice i own she never cared for me but was forced into what happened by the threats and compulsion of her family would to god that i had not been deceived but in these matters we are deceived because we wish to be so and i thought i loved that poor woman what could come of such a marriage i found before long that i was married to a boor 
she could not comprehend one subject that interested me her dullness palled upon me till i grew to loathe it and after some time of a wretched furtive union i must tell you all i found letters somewhere and such letters they were which showed me that her heart such as it was had never been mine but had always belonged to a person of her own degree at my father's death i paid what debts i had contracted at college and settled every shilling which remained to me in an annuity upon upon those who bore my name on condition that they should hide themselves away and not assume it they have kept that condition as they would break it for more money if i had earned fame or reputation that woman would have come to claim it if i had made a name for myself those who know right to it would have borne it and i entered life at twenty god help me hopeless and ruined beyond remission i was the boyish victim of vulgar cheats and perhaps it is only of late i have found out how hard ah how hard it is to forgive them i told you the moral before pen and now i have told you the fable beware how you marry out of your degree i was made for a better lot than this i think but god has awarded me this one and so you see it is for me to look on and see others successful and others happy with a heart that shall be as little bitter as possible by gad sir cried the major in high good humour i intended you to marry miss laura here and by gad master shallow i owe you a thousand pound warrington said how do you mean a thousand it was only a pony sir replied the major simply at which the other laughed as for helen she was so delighted that she started up and said god bless you god for ever bless you mr warrington and kissed both his hands and ran up to pen and fell into his arms yes dearest mother he said as he held her to him and with a noble tenderness and emotion embraced and forgave her i am innocent and my dear dear mother has done me a wrong oh yes my child i have wronged you thank god i have wronged you helen whispered come away arthur not here i want to ask my child to forgive me and and my god to forgive me and to bless you and love you my son he led her tottering into her room and closed the door as the three touched spectators of the reconciliation looked on in pleased silence ever after ever after the tender accents of that voice faltering sweetly at his ear the look of the sacred eyes beaming with an affection unutterable the quiver of the fond lips smiling mournfully were remembered by the young man and at his best moments and at his hours of trial and grief and at his times of success or well-doing the mother's face looked down upon him and blessed him with its gaze of pity and purity as he saw it in that night when she yet lingered with him and when she seemed ere she quite left him an angel transfigured and glorified with love for which love as for the greatest of the bounties and wonders of god's provision for us lets us kneel and thank our father the moon had risen by this time arthur recollected well afterwards how it lighted up his mother's sweet pale face their talk or his rather for she scarcely could speak was more tender and confidential than it had been for years before he was the frank and generous boy of her early days in love he told her the story the mistake regarding which had caused her so much pain his struggles to fly from temptation and his thankfulness that he had been able to overcome it he never would do the girl wrong never or wound his own honour or his mother's pure heart the threat that he would return was uttered in a moment of exasperation of which he repented he never would see her again but his mother said yes he should and it was she who had been proud and culpable and she would like to give fanny bolton something and she begged her dear boy's pardon for opening the letter and she would write to the young girl if if she had time poor thing was it not natural that she should love her arthur 
and again she kissed him and she blessed him as they were talking the clock struck nine and helen reminded him how when he was a little boy she used to go up to his bedroom at that hour and hear him say our father and once more oh once more the young man fell down at his mother's sacred knees and sobbed out the prayer which the divine tenderness uttered for us and which has been echoed by twenty ages since by millions of sinful and humbled men and as he spoke the last words of the supplication the mother's head fell down on her boys and her arms closed round him and together they repeated the words for ever and ever and amen a little time after it it might have been a quarter of an hour laura heard arthur's voice call from within laura laura she rushed into the room instantly and found the young man still on his knees and holding his mother's hand helen's head had sunk back and was quite pale in the room pen looked round scared with a ghastly terror help laura help he said she's fainted she's laura screamed and fell by the side of helen the shriek brought warrington and major pendennis and the servants to the room the sainted woman was dead the last emotion of her soul here was joy to be henceforth uncheckered and eternal the tender heart beat no more it was to have no more pangs no more doubts no more griefs and trials its last throb was love and helen's last breath was a benediction the melancholy party bent their way speedily homewards and helen was laid by her husband's side at clavering in the old church where she had prayed so often for a while laura went to stay with dr portman who read the service over his dear departed sister amidst his own sobs and those of the little congregation which assembled round helen's tomb there were not many who cared for her or who spoke of her when gone scarcely more than of a nun in a cloister did people know of that pious and gentle lady a few words among the cottagers whom her bounty was accustomed to relieve a little talk from house to house at clavering where this lady told how their neighbour died of a complaint in the heart whilst that speculated upon the amount of a property which the widow had left and a third wondered whether arthur would let fair oaks or live in it and expected that he would not be long getting through his property this was all and except with one or two who cherished her the kind soul was forgotten by the next market day would you desire that grief for you should last for a few weeks more and does after life seem less solitary provided that our names when we go down into silence are echoing on the side of the grave yet for a little while and human voices are still talking about us she was gone the pure soul whom only two or three loved and knew the great blank she left was in laura's heart to whom her love had been everything and who had now but to worship her memory i am glad that she gave me her blessing before she went away warrington said to pen and as for arthur with a humble acknowledgment and wonder at so much affection he hardly dared to ask of heaven to make him worthy of it though he felt that a saint there was interceding for him all the lady's affairs were found in perfect order and her little property ready for transmission to her son in trust for whom she held it papers in her desk showed that she had long been aware of the complaint one of the heart under which she laboured and knew that it would suddenly remove her and a prayer was found in her handwriting asking that her end might be as it was in the arms of her son laura and arthur talked over her sayings all of which the former most fondly remembered to the young man's shame somewhat who thought how much greater her love had been for helen than his own he referred himself entirely to laura to know what helen would have wished should be done what poor person she would have liked to relieve what legacies or remembrances she would have wished to transmit they packed up the vase which helen in her gratitude had destined to dr goodenough and duly sent it to the kind doctor 
a silver coffee-pot which she used was sent off to portman a diamond ring with her hair was given with affectionate greeting to warrington it must have been a hard day for poor laura when she went over to fair oaks first and to the little room which she had occupied and which was hers no more and to the widow's own blank chamber in which those two had passed so many beloved hours there of course were the clothes in the wardrobe the cushion on which she prayed the chair at the toilette the glass that was no more to reflect her dear sad face after she had been here a while pen knocked and led her downstairs to the parlour again and made her drink a little wine and said god bless you as she touched the glass nothing shall ever be changed in your room he said it is always your room it is always my sister's room shall it not be so laura and laura said yes among the widow's papers was found a packet marked by the widow letters from laura's father and which arthur gave to her they were the letters which had passed between the cousins in the early days before the marriage of either of them the ink was faded in which they were written the tears dried out that both perhaps had shed over them the grief healed now whose bitterness they chronicled the friends doubtless united whose parting on earth had caused to both pangs so cruel and laura learned fully now for the first time what the tie was which had bound her so tenderly to helen how faithfully her more than mother had cherished her father's memory how truly she had loved him how meekly resigned him one legacy of his mother's pen remembered of which laura could have no cognizance it was that wish of helen's to make some present to fanny bolton and pen wrote to her putting his letter under an envelope to mr bowes and requesting that gentleman to read it before he delivered it to fanny dear fanny pen said i have to acknowledge two letters from you one of which was delayed in my illness pen found the first letter in his mother's desk after her decease and the reading it gave him a strange pang and to thank you my kind nurse and friend who watched me so tenderly during my fever and i have to tell you that the last words of my dear mother who is no more were words of good-will and gratitude to you for nursing me and she said she would have written to you had she had time that she would like to ask your pardon if she had harshly treated you and that she would beg you to show your forgiveness by accepting some token of friendship and regard from her pen concluded by saying that his friend george warrington esquire of lambcourt temple was trustee of a little sum of money of which the interest would be paid to her until she became of age or changed her name which would always be affectionately remembered by her grateful friend a pendennis the sum was in truth but small although enough to make a little heiress of fanny bolton whose parents were appeased and whose father said mr p had acted quite as the gentleman the bows growled out that that to plaster a wounded heart with a banknote was an easy kind of sympathy and poor fanny felt only too clearly that pen's letter was one of farewell sending hundred-pound notes to porter's daughters is all devilish well old major pendennis said to his nephew whom as the proprietor of fair oaks and the head of the family he now treated with marked deference and civility and as there was a little ready money at the bank and your poor mother wished it there's perhaps no harm done but my good lad i'd have you to remember that you've not above five hundred a year though thanks to me the world gives you credit for being a deuced deal better off and on my knees i beg you my boy don't break into your capital stick to it sir don't speculate with it sir keep your land and don't borrow on it tatham tells me that the chatteris branch of the railway may will almost certainly pass through chatteris and of it can be brought on this side of the brawl sir and through your fields they'll be worth a devilish deal of money and your five hundred a year will jump up to eight or nine whatever it is keep it i implore you keep it and i say pen i think you should give up living in those dirty chambers in the temple and let a decent lodging 
and i should have a man sir to wait upon me and a horse or two in town in the season all this will pretty well swallow up your income and i know you must live close but remember you have a certain place in society and you can't afford to cut a poor figure in the world what are you going to do in the winter you don't intend to stay down here or i suppose to go on writing for that what do you call em that newspaper warrington and i are going abroad again sir for a little and then we shall see what is to be done arthur replied and you'll let fair oaks of course good school in the neighbourhood cheap country devilish nice place for east india colonels or families wanting to retire i'll speak about it at the club there are lots of fellows at the club want a place of that sort i hope laura will live in it for the winter at least and will make it her home arthur replied at which the major pished and pshawed and said that there ought to be convents begad for english ladies and wished that miss bell had not been there to interfere with the arrangements of the family and that she would mope herself to death alone in that place indeed it would have been a very dismal abode for poor laura who was not too happy either in dr portman's household and in the town where too many things reminded her of the dear parent whom she had lost but old lady rockminster who adored her young friend laura as soon as she read in the paper of her loss and of her presence in the country rushed over from baymouth where the old lady was staying and insisted that laura should remain six months twelve months all her life with her and to her ladyship's house martha from fair oaks as femme de chambre accompanied her young mistress pen and warrington saw her depart it was difficult to say which of the young men seemed to regard her the most tenderly your cousin is pert and rather vulgar my dear but he seems to have a good heart little lady rockminster said who said her say about everybody but i like bluebeard best tell me is he too chocure mr warrington has been long engaged laura said dropping her eyes nonsense child and good heavens my dear that's a pretty diamond cross what do you mean by wearing it in the morning arthur my brother gave it me just now it was it was she could not finish the sentence the carriage passed over the bridge and by the dear dear gate of fair oaks home no more End of chapter 58